Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. He's already got you warmed up. That's going to be easy for some good feedback now, right? So if I start hooping and hollering, you're going to be able to give it all back to me, right? Some of you know what that means. Most of you probably don't. That's all right. But uh, in uh, good church tradition, if a pastor starts hooping and hollering, you're supposed to kind of feed back and get into it and be all up in, in uh, the, the joy and the expectation and the anticipation of what that pastor's experiencing. So if I start going off like Pastor Olivier, just work with me. All right? Amen? You all do that? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, welcome. It is good to be with you all today. Um, we are excited, as you can tell, excited to be here. And um, as I'm looking out uh, at all of you this morning, I just want to say what beautiful works of art you are. Amen? Would you just look at your neighbor and just say, man, you look beautiful today. Now, if it was somebody you don't know, that was a little awkward. I get that, all right? I understand, but you can do it anyway. You are beautiful works of art. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. For those of you that don't know, we are in a series called Masterpiece in Progress. We are working our way through the letter that uh, we think Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Uh, it is a letter to the Ephesians to many of the churches uh, that were coming to faith early in the life of the early church. And uh, this letter to the Ephesians has been teaching us uh, a lot of great things. And uh, so hopefully you've been following along, hopefully you've been digging in uh, just a little bit. Um, I'm going to pick up with Ephesians chapter 4, as I said uh, to you earlier. We are going to be working through Ephesians 4. You can follow along in your scripture or you can look it up on version. But um, just to give you a little bit of background, we talked last week kind of about the the point in this letter, it was sort of chapter 3 as a, as a climax in the way that Paul was writing this letter. And he was really, really excited to bring home the point that a mystery had been revealed. And that mystery was that we, the church, are the new Israel. We are God's new plan to help the people of the world know who he was. And as the church, we are the witnesses in the heavenly realms of his beautiful plan. And so as we talked about that last week, we, we talked about the power of the church and we talked about the, the goal and the joy of being connected and being uh, interrelated to one another and the unity and the bondedness that that brings to each and every one of us, each of us individually, and then together as one whole community, one whole church, are his works, his beautiful works of art that were created we are we are created to do things that he created in advance for us to do and so we are exploring what that really looks like as one body as individuals and as the church paul wanted his people to know that his one mission in life his whole mission in life was to tell you this story and in fact, he was in prison for telling this story. We talked about that last week. I encourage you to go online. You can listen to that message last week. We're not going to re-preach that message. But he does start out here in Ephesians chapter 4 reminding us that he is still a prisoner. A prisoner not only in 
Christ Jesus, but for Christ Jesus. There's kind of a double meaning there, right? But he's sitting in a Roman jail, most likely writing this letter, and he says that I, I, Paul, am a prisoner in Christ Jesus, not, not the Romans, and for Christ Jesus, to tell you this exciting story. And in chapter 4, now we kind of get to the hinge point. And you know it's a little bit of a hinge when you see a word in Scripture that says something like, therefore. All right? And so if you were to start out looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, you would see this transition word. It says, therefore. Now, therefore means that based on everything that has come before, therefore, I, Paul, a prisoner, and now he starts begging. If you read my midweek email, you, you read this idea of begging. Paul is begging his people. Now, we don't necessarily like that word to, to beg because it kind of means to lower ourselves. It kind it kind of has a, a connotation of something that isn't as uh, becoming, right? Maybe we're a little bit lower than other people or something. But, but Paul doesn't doesn't mind. He says, I beg you. Why does he beg? Why does he want the people that he's writing to to know these truths? Because he's given his life for it. It's important. It's big time. And therefore, I beg you to take hold of it. You get the idea now that that in this transition from everything that's gone before, chapters 1 through 3, to now 4 through 6, that there's There's something else now that we're going to be focusing on. And whereas in 1 through 3, we were focusing a little bit on uh, kind of the big picture. This is the the history, the big picture, what God has done for us. Now we're going to be like, what is more of our response? How do we live in conformity to it? So I want you to recognize that there's this transition. How many of you know when you come to Christ, when you give your lives to Christ, that there's some changes that are required? Does anybody know that? When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, we have to change how we think. We have to change how we live. We have to reorient ourselves to this new belief, to who Jesus Christ really is. I summed it up in this phrase for you. Hopefully it will be helpful to you. Um, It just kind of rolled off my tongue at the last minute. It says, when we choose to believe, we choose to leave our old ways behind. And we choose to cleave to that which is new in Christ. To cleave is to take hold of, to grab a hold of something new. We choose to believe. That is our choice, right? We choose Jesus Christ. And um, when we believe, we come into that relationship with Jesus Christ. But it requires that we leave some things behind. And that's what this next section is going to be getting into. We're going to be leaving some old ways. He's talking now to you and I. He's talking to Gentiles. He's talking to the non-Jews. These are individuals that didn't really know all about Jesus Christ. They didn't know about this life. They didn't know what was required. They didn't know all of that stuff. And so now he's saying, you know, as I introduced you to Jesus Christ, as this mystery is unfolded, now there's going to be some things that are required of us, some changes that we're going to have to make to come into conformity with his will and with his way. So we 
choose to believe, we leave behind and we cling or cleave to that which is new in Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at this um, transition, so to speak, over the next several weeks. We're not going to tackle it all today, but I wanted to lay it out for you today because it's really hard to talk about what comes next without giving you the big picture because it could make us seem like that each one of these sections of Scripture um, kind of stands alone, and they really don't. They work very much together. So that, remember, this is a letter that was written. If you read the letter in sections, like we talked about last week, you kind of miss the big picture. And so I just want to give you the big picture for the next couple of weeks. Paul is laying out in these next few verses for one through 521 he's talking about two things one people and one purpose what was the mystery that was revealed it was that we are now united in christ this is going to be what we're talking about today chapter 4 verses 1 through 16 we are united in jesus christ remember he broke down the dividing wall of hostility we are together in jesus christ there's no more jew or greek or slave or not or me male or female we don't we don't have any of that right he broke down that dividing wall jews and gentiles are now together and there is this one new picture called the church the church is the new image the new picture and we are to be united in jesus christ and the next is one purpose because we are united we are also to be set apart to be holy we are the church We are called to be something unique, and that uniqueness involves us being set apart. Just like if you were to go back into the Old Testament, if you were to go back to Genesis, all the way back to the first book of the Bible, and you were to read about this man named Abram, in chapter 12, there's this calling of this man named Abram. We know him as Abraham. And a God established a covenant all the way back then because he needed a people And we're not going to get into that whole story, but he needed a people to be able to tell the world about who he was. And so he chose the people of Israel or the people of Abraham who became the people Israel, the Jews as we know them. Well, in the same way, he's now calling the church to be set apart, to be holy for that particular purpose and to get there, to be one people, to be one purposed people requires some changes in our lives. So that's what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. This particular passage as we start out today starts out, he says, I beg you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. How many of you today feel or think or know that you are living a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's a tough one, right? But I see a couple hands. That's good. You can know. Like that, that's not like meant to put you in your place. That is meant to say, we can know in Jesus Christ that we are worthy. It may require some more change, but that's a process. That's a process that is ongoing in our lives. But you can know. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to wonder. We've been talking about it for weeks. 
your works of art, your masterpieces in progress. I think chapters 4 through 6 are a little bit more about the progress. Chapters 1 through 3 are about the masterpiece, right? So if 1 through 3 is, you are a masterpiece, a work of art, chapters 4 through 6 are now like, let's talk about the process. You're in progress, right? So that's kind of how you want to think about it. But what is this thing that you have been called to? What are we to be worthy of? I want you to just reflect really briefly on some of the things that we've learned together. I want you to be worthy, Paul says, of God's power. The beautiful and wonderful power that saved us. Think about Jesus Christ, his goodness, his power. Think about the God of grace. The God of grace who sent his son, Jesus Christ, who is making us into those masterpieces. Think about a God, uh, a worthy of a God who sent his son to break down those dividing walls of hostility. Can we say we're worthy of a God who came to bring unity to people? Worthy of a God who is literally doing new things. New things, breaking down stereotypes, building something new called the church Literally allowing people to be whole again and free of pain and hurt and suffering. Are we living a life worthy of that God? I beg you, says Paul, to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. It is important to talk about this idea of calling the word church. The word, the Greek word for church actually means to be called out of. We are to be called out of. We have been called out. That is important to think about. We have been called out as the church. Think about in your own world, in your own life. Think about those moments when you've been called out. Anybody experience that? Anybody ever been called out on something? You were kind of thinking it, or maybe you were talking about it and somebody just said it, right? Somebody just called you out and put you out there, right? Uncomfortable, maybe. Awkward moments to be called out. But that's the church. We have been called out. Called out of those former ways of thinking. Called out of some bad habits. Called out of some poor relationships. Called out of some reactions and ways that we talk to one another. Called out of some things. Called out of disunity. Just think about the image of disunity. Think about people who cannot just get along. Think about the witness of people who are not united with one another. God called us to something different. He called us to be united, to be witnesses of his goodness and of his grace united together. We are called to be something different. And he then calls us not only out of, but he calls us to something new. We are called to be a part of something new. That is expressed through the church in unity. In unity. It's expressed in these words in chapter 4, verse 2. It says, be humble. Always be humble and gentle, patient, making allowance for each other's faults, because of your love. 
Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together in peace. Unity. Unity is what is required. Humility and gentleness and patience. That word humility, that word is the same word that Paul uses when he describes Jesus Christ's humility in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says right there that Jesus Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, he lowered himself to the earth. He became kind of next to nothing here on the earth in order that he could be like us, but also remembering that he was different than God in his humanity. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. How many of you are grasping at things, grasping at a life of faith, grasping, thinking somehow that you deserve something in a faith journey, thinking that somehow God owes you something because of the sacrifices that you've made? How many have lived our lives with a sense of pride and and God owes me something? That's not the model that Jesus Christ offered us. He said, I don't consider anything with God something that I can take a hold. That's all up to God. He became a man. Even a man, human, who died on a cross. He died. Perfect, sinless, and he died. He died for you and he died for me. Paul is saying here, I want you to be unified, unified in your hearts, unified in your purpose, unified together. And I want you to express that in humility toward one another, in gentleness, in patience with one another. Keeping that spirit of unity through the bond of peace. We're going to read about in Ephesians chapter 6 in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about our feet being shod with the preparation of peace. We are to be walking in ways of peace. Keeping that spirit of unity through the bond of peace. That is what Paul is talking about here as we are called to this new way of living. We are called to express it in unity with one another because Jesus Christ is bringing all things together. He is bringing and making all things united under himself. If we read on here in these verses, we will read that he gives us a reason for it. Why? Why, he says, for there is one body And one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and through all. Why do we work on unity? Why does he want this new thing that he's called, this new mysterious plan, the church, to work itself out in unity? Because that's who he is. He is a united whole. We understand him in triune ways. We understand him to be God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son and then we understand the Holy Spirit. We understand all of that to be kind of the the uniqueness of the Trinity but they're all one. And as we come to faith, as you come to a belief in who Jesus Christ is, if you 
give your life to Jesus Christ. You come in and, and you believe that He is one Lord. You have one faith that expresses that. One faith that, that understands that this God is somebody special and that one faith is in this one God. And then we go through the one baptism. You don't get baptized into each of them. We go through one baptism and it's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we are baptized into this unified experience called the church. That's who we are. That's who we are. We are called to be a unified whole. I think the interesting thing is as you read on in these verses, you read on and you see that our unity does not mean uniformity. Let's just read in verse 7. It says, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Let me just stop right there. He's given each of us, you as a work of art, he has given you a special gift, a unique element of who you are. It could be influenced by your culture, your race, your background. It could be influenced by your talents, your abilities, your interests. It could be influenced by all kinds of things. But he has given you a special gift that belongs here. And I say here in the big sense, here within the context of the church. He's given you gifts. And each of us have something unique that we bring to bear in this journey of the church, in the journey of life together. Because if we were all thinking the same, we wouldn't be able to see it from different perspectives and we would be vulnerable to some things. We'd be vulnerable to some teaching that wasn't true and we'd be vulnerable to some actions and some ways of doing things that probably aren't right or aren't helpful. And so he's given each of us some gifts. We are unified because he is unified. But we are different and diverse. Unity expressed in diversity brings God glory. Amen? Now, I'm not going to break down verse 8 for you. If you are part of a small group, I'm going to give you some time this week to express and and learn that in your small groups. But let me just give you a little hint. Uh, Verse 8 actually comes from Psalm 68, 18. If you're taking notes, write that down. Look at Psalm 68, verse 18. You'll find an interesting dilemma if you look that up. And that's all I'll say. It's a fun little discovery. And I'm going to let the small groups... Tease that out a little bit this week. So Psalm 68, 18, look at it, study it, and have some fun with that one. Let's move on to chapter 9. It says, notice it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. There we have a clear doctrinal statement You'll read about it maybe in the Apostles' Creed or the song that we just sang, right? What do we believe? We believe that Jesus Christ came from on high. He came down to earth, and when he was crucified and died and put in the tomb, that he actually, according to our tradition, descended into the lower earthly regions and overcame sin and darkness. Now, that's an interesting theological discussion, an interesting theological debate. Did he actually descend into hell, or was it just him being here on earth that was low enough? I mean, in some ways, that was kind of low enough that he came down to earth. But it also is, it's part of our tradition that says that he 
descended. He overcame darkness and death. And then when he resurrected, he, he went even above the heavens. How many of you know the heavens are a created thing? Anybody know that? The heavens are actually a created thing. It says in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. And so when it says he ascended above those things, he ascended back to where he started. Amen? That's a beautiful thing. He ascended above creation to show that he was over all of creation, not over all the universe and all of its complexity and grand scale. He ascended above all of that. So he went to the lowest of the lows to go to the highest of highs. That is part of our doctrinal belief in who Jesus Christ is. Amen? So Paul is reaffirming that here for us. And then he gets into now fulfilling the whole point of verse 7. He says, now these gifts are the gifts. Now these are the gifts of Christ. They're the ones that he gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Those are the various gifts that he has given to the church. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on those various gifts. Again, you can study those. Those are interesting. Uh, We can read about them in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to do some more study on the various gifts that he has given to the church. But what I want to focus on briefly for our time this morning is why. Why has he given us these gifts? Those gifts are given and the responsibility is given so that we can equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, which is the body of Christ. Why do we have all the gifts? Because we exist with those gifts to build each other up so that we can do his work in the world and in the church. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Diversity leads to maturity. It is required that we be unified. It is a gift that we are diverse. It is that unity in diversity that leads us to maturity. That is a beautiful, beautiful picture that Paul is painting for us here. We don't want to be blown around and tossed by the waves, as James would say in chapter 1. We don't want to have weak faith. We don't want to hear things that are out in the world, doctrinal things, and be wondering, oh, maybe that's better than what I believe, or why do I go to this church or that church, or, you know, there's so many things that are out there competing for your attention and for your beliefs. And Paul is saying, no, this is why we have the church. It is the the beauty and the strength that we have in one another that holds us firm so that when we're out there in the world representing Christ, we are not prone to wander. We're not prone to walk away. We're not prone to fall away because of a weak faith or a lack of belief or a lack of understanding. These gifts, pastoring and teaching, Some are given to proclaim that good news. Some are given to tell the gospel in all kinds of settings. Some are given to seeing truth in things that others don't always see. Apostles and evangelists and prophets and pastors and teachers, they are given so that we can stand firm. Stand firm. Not tossed about 
by the waves. It is important to our faith that we recognize the power of the church in the journey. One of the things that's been challenging to me over the the course of my life is when I open up the pages of Scripture and it it doesn't give me an explicit answer to a very specific question that I have. Anybody ever done that? I'm looking for the answer in the Bible and the Bible just doesn't say it. Come on, I'm not alone in that, right? You know what I'm talking about. Why do we have the church? Because the church comes alongside of us and says... Here is how we have dealt with that. There really are no new questions under the sun. I hate to tell you. You might think your life is really, really special and unique. And you are a work of art. I affirm that. You are unique. You're a masterpiece in progress. But I am 99% sure that most of the questions you have, they have been asked in history. And the church has wrestled with 99% of them. And they have some traditions and some teachings and some things that we can draw upon to help guide us. And that is why God has given us the gifts and those who are studied and can teach us in those ways so that we can hold ourselves firm when the winds of change start to blow in the world. When people start to feel some things and they think that we should change and Some people start to experience some things and they say the church is getting old and outdated. When the church starts to look old and stodgy, we come back and we say, Jesus, help us. Help us to stand firm. Help us to know what your word says and help us to be unified. And then it comes back to verse 1. Help us to be humble. Help us to be gentle. Help us to be patient with one another. Bearing with each other in love. Because as it goes on to say here in verse 15. We want to speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. We want to be able to speak the truth in love. You can't have one without the other. It just doesn't work. It's kind of like in a sentence. When you try to spell a word with Q, you almost always have to have a U, right? The word, the letter Q doesn't work without the letter U. You just kind of have to put them together. It's kind of like truth and love. They go together. There are some things that we have to stand upon, but there's ways that it has to be communicated. There are ways that we have to reach beyond our comfort zones and love. And then there are some things that we need to bring into the story and tell the truth. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be getting into several of these ideas. That's what Paul is getting at. It starts with unity. The church must be unified. But we have one purpose, and that is to be holy, to be set apart, to be his witnesses in the world. We have the opportunity today to share in the Lord's table. 
we have the opportunity today to examine our hearts, to look inside of us, and to ask the Lord to teach us some things about ourselves, to ask the Holy Spirit to open us up. Where have I sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Not did I, for it says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Where have I sinned? And Lord, I surrender. I come back to you. I cling to you. I want to leave all of that behind. This is called repentance, and I want to cleave to something new. It is leaving behind, cleaving to the new. This is called repentance. What do I, in my heart and in my life, need to repent of so that the gifts that have been stirred up in me can be used to further your kingdom through our church so that I'm not held down, so that I'm not struggling, so that I'm not under the weight of sin and guilt and shame, but I am living freely because of what Jesus Christ did for me. I no longer have to be bound by any of that. Jesus Christ paid the price once and for all. That's what we celebrate here today. So we need to take some time today and examine our hearts and look within ourselves and figure out what the Lord is saying to us as we prepare to receive the bread and the cup today. So I'm going to give you a minute or two to just go before the Lord, and then we'll have some other time. I'm actually going to read a little bit more formal liturgy for communion today, kind of in honor and in solidarity with our brothers and sisters around the globe who are probably using very similar liturgies today. But we're going to walk through it together. I just invite you to prepare your heart.